and welcome to another episode of the Future Sox Podcast. James, I can't help but giggle as we start this podcast because it's been over a month since we've recorded. Uh, and sure, I'll take the blame, but I also blame you. We blame everything in this world for keeping us uh, from recording, but let's take the responsibility here. James, let's talk some White Sox because it's been, like I said, over a month. And yeah, we haven't been here in a while, but we needed to take a step back, right? Because there was a lot happening across the season. It was our chance here at Future Sox to cover a full minor league season really since, and like personally, since I've taken over future Sox, this was my first official full minor league season. Cause I took over late 2019, the 2020 season got canceled. 2021 starts up and here we are the conclusion of it all. We'll talk white Sox off season as we get prepped for what should be, uh, I think a proactive one, even though, uh, that's not typically how the white, I mean, I shouldn't say that I'm going all over the place here. We'll get into it, James. And we also need to talk about the Arizona fall league as well as instructs out in Arizona, which you've been all over as well. But first let's start there, James. Let's talk about the completed 2021 minor league season following 2020. There's a lot of implications surrounding this year, given all the circumstances that happened in 20. What was your overall takeaway of the way the season went down in 2021 and how are you feeling going into the off season? Yeah, I mean, you know, it seemed to go off without a hitch, which is good. Like, they played games and there were fans there, uh, which is good. I mean, obviously, the White Sox system isn't what it was. We did a whole lot of shows about it. You know, they, they've added youth to the system, which is good. And you've had some, you know, you've had some breakout guys and whatnot. But, you know, once you go into this stage of, you know, competing every year at the big league level, like, the system gets worse. It's just kind of the way it is. So now, you know, now they have to rebuild that to make it, you know, like a middle of the pack system while they're in contention. I mean, as far as like what happens in actual minor league games that, you know, that's not really something that's always like concerned me. Like we do have writers and affiliates that, that write previews um, for that type of stuff. Like for me, it's, it's prospects and they, you know, they need more of them, but you know, just because it was like the 30th ranked farm system that guests have told us when they've been on, like, doesn't mean it's going to like stay the 30th ranked farm system forever. So, you know, I do think they're, there are some positives and I think people had to deal with like the ramifications of the 2020 season. Like we always go back to that. Like they lost a full year. Some guys are worse because of it. Some guys like Romy Gonzalez, I think are better because of it. I think you could argue Gavin Sheets like took advantage of the opportunity too. Um, so, you know, I think overall it's, it's not great. You'd rather be the Rays where your minor league teams win, you know, every single level that they're in. Um, but you know, not doing so doesn't mean that you're not going to be a perennial division champion, like in the big leagues and, you know, have multiple playoff runs. So, yeah, it's, I mean, you make a, a great point there because you, you even equate it to Garrett Crochet's career path. I mean, if 2020 doesn't happen, who knows how Garrett Crochet turns out? Maybe he does start in the minors as a starter. Maybe he does complete a full season at Tennessee. Maybe he does get drafted in the top five outside of the White Sox 11th overall pick. I mean, there are so many things that played into where we are today as a result of a lack of a minor league season, a lack of a college season, a lack of a high school season in 2020 and, and uh, even at the latter parts of 2019. I mean, it was uh, it was something that's changed the future <laughs> in Major League Baseball here on the Future Sox podcast. But let's like go back to that as we preview the offseason as well. We'll get to that here in a second. The young players that litter the White Sox farms, and you know, typically prospects are all young, but we're talking about the 18, 19, 20-year-olds, the international signings, the high school prep players, as well as, as the younger 
first-year college players getting their first taste of professional baseball. And you wrote a preview of the instructional league that's taking place out in Arizona, and among them, Colson Montgomery, this year's first overall draft pick. I mean, this is a chance for them to get more at-bats, of course, and that's the primary objective in the instructional league under the watchful eye of, of White Sox personnel. But also, when you look at it, this is taking an advantage now of following these young players. And it was very disappointing. Let's, let's be flat out blunt about it. It was disappointing because that among the 20 year olds and the international um, players that came across for their first professional season stateside, it was a disappointment, but again, it was their first season and we harp on it because that's where the White Sox strengths are in the farm right now in their top, top 30. You look at all of these young players. But here we are now following a season of, you know, of disappointment. The White Sox are banking on these players to take the next step. And I feel like now they have an opportunity to to really evaluate how these players can translate eventually as professional ball players. Yeah, I mean, it's a good point because it's they'll finally get an accurate look, right? I think it was Josh Norris that came on with us, like talking about Canny and like how much of a disaster it was. And I think the White Sox were just hurt by, and look, every team played by the same rules, but like they started to skew like a lot younger and they had two rookie ball teams. And I think they were going to fill those rookie ball teams with, you know, super young guys, like instead of 23 year old college players. And then all of a sudden, like Great Falls was taken away from them. And, you know, you had to promote guys from the Arizona league, like straight to low A Canapolis and guys just weren't ready for it and some of those guys you know will struggle again next year and like they won't be professional baseball players anymore but some of them will kind of just like even out and bounce back and it'll be like more age appropriate finally and you know in Kannapolis and Winston-Salem should be better next year like at least like the the play on the field shouldn't be as bad right because I feel like some of the guys there were like showcase players you know they're like guys that don't really have a ton of baseball skills and you're asking them to play in low a because for them to get the at bats, like there's just like nowhere else to go. So, you know, in instructional league is useful. It's basically all of the prospects um, who aren't like the guys that were sent to the AFL, obviously, which we'll touch on. So it's good. I mean, they play instructional league games out there. Um, you know, if you really search, there's like people out on backfields, like watching them, you know, I'm sure baseball America will have, more write-ups on guys and just kind of let you know how the White Sox guys look out there. There was, there were a lot of reports out of Instructs last year. I mean, Instructs was like one of the reasons why Avery Weems was able to be the second piece in the Lance Lynn trade. So look, I mean, you'll have guys in Instructs that are like all of a sudden like hitting 97 and, you know, maybe they're used in an off-season trade and, you know, it goes back to like somebody scouts like saw them in fall Instructs and liked them enough to include them in something. So it's still, you know, it's still important for like team building portion of this whole thing. Absolutely. You can check out James work. He previewed the instructional league, which by the way, is actually wrapping up in about a week here. It's a, it's a month long, just, you know, like James was saying, um, organized workout just to get these guys more experience under the watchful Iowa White Sox personnel. And some of these names, DJ Gladney, West Kath, Colson Montgomery, Brian Ramos. I mean, a lot of these players, you know, the, the draft picks this year got a taste of uh, the Arizona League, while others, like we talked about in previous episodes, struggled in full season Canapolis, which was the, really the only place that they could they could go to see professional live uh, 
actual minor league baseball outside of just extended spring in Arizona, uh, whatever you want to call that. As well as Sean Burke, uh, right-handed pitcher that was drafted this year. Interesting name to keep an eye on. Andrew Dahlquist. Check it out on futuresocks.com. You mentioned the Arizona Fall League now, James, and you know those are typically those they, they, these players involved in the Arizona Fall League are we're intrigued by these players in terms of like the White Sox are intrigued. Obviously they want to get them extra looks and extra reps, but us as well. I mean, these are the highlighted players in the White Sox farm system that are getting more opportunities. How are you feeling about the roster that was sent out to Arizona this year on the White Sox side of things? So I think it made sense. You know, the Arizona fall league is, it's like a prospect factory. I mean, that's where like all these guys that you talked to that we've talked to on the show, like you're, you know, your Keith Laws and all your Baseball America guys, like they go to the Arizona Fall League because that's where all the best prospects are. All the guys that are in the big leagues right now that are like the best players in the big leagues, like they probably played in the Arizona Fall League at some point. So look, while the White Sox don't have super high-end prospects right now, you know, they did kind of send their top ones and the ones that are the closest to the majors. I feel like it's a big step for, for Jose Rodriguez. I mean, he's one guy who you know, where Canapolis wasn't too much for him. I mean, Jose Rodriguez has hit every year since 2018. There were some questions with him just about whether he'd stay at shortstop or like his super aggressive approach at the plate, like if it would get to him at the higher levels. Well, you know, I mean, he earned a promotion to Winston-Salem this year and he absolutely killed it in high A. And then, you know, he went to Birmingham for for six games, I believe, which, I mean, I'm guessing he's going to start in Birmingham next year as a 20 year old. And by that point, like if you hit in double a, I mean, you know, you're probably going to play in the big league. So, you know, we, we had the, the Jose Rodriguez discussion, right. Where we put him at 10 and maybe he'll be higher the next time we do it. Um, that's a guy worth keeping an eye on. And then the older Cuban prospects, you know, Gilbert Sanchez had a pretty good year under the radar. Um, and then you Cespedes as well are the position players, you know, that are joining the rest in the Arizona fall league. And they play for the Glendale desert dogs, like along with prospects from five other teams. And, you know, it's just, they just play a Arizona fall league season. There's a fall stars game, which is, you know, like an all-star game. And then they play a championship too, which I think is in, uh, I should know cause I just wrote it, but I think it's in November. It's like a little bit later this year cause the triple A season went late. Yeah, it looks like the fall start, I'm reading it right now, would be played on Saturday, November 13th, televised on MLB Network. So keep that in mind if you're interested on that. November 13th on MLB Network. Yeah, you mentioned the, the Jose Rodriguez thing. That's the highlight, I think, of this year outside of Romy Gonzalez and Gavin Sheets really emerging is is this young player that is handling each level that's been thrust upon him. Like we said, started in Kannapolis, did very well, promoted to Winston-Salem, and then got a taste of A Birmingham at the end of the season. Uh, you know, I mean, look, how, how much do they care about a playoff push? Maybe a little bit, sure. But I think it's more obviously focused on developmental and Jose Rodriguez got a chance to see maybe they were anticipating him to play in the Arizona Fall League. So, you know, put him in double A ahead of time to, to try and get ahead of the competition a little bit or at least get a taste of it. Um, but like you said, 20 years old, a shortstop who can, you know, you would assume can move around as a utility. The bat is what you're excited about, the strikeout swing and miss rate is, you know, something that obviously any young player needs to clean up with, with this type of potential, sort of this profile. Um, and he's got speed. So Jose Rodriguez, as a 20, 21-year-old going into his age 21 season next year at some point uh, in double A, that is 
absolutely exciting. But James, as we talk about this, you know, we are listing a lot of the names, like those in Instructs, top prospects among the Arizona Fall League. And we, we, I should give a shout out to Yolki Cespedes and Yolbert Sanchez. I mean, those two players are, you know, taking strides, like realistically, among those who are next up in terms of contributors to the big league level, but things have to go their way. I think uh, Yolbert Sanchez has an opportunity to be a utility infielder in the majors at some point, maybe mid to late next year. If things go well, Yolbert Sanchez, if, or excuse me, Olki Cespedes, if things go well for him, uh, the White Sox have to feel confident because first full season stateside, you don't want to rush these things, but he is more advanced as he was brought over. But these aren't game-changing deal-breaking prospects for the White Sox. So that leads me to the question, James, as we anticipate the offseason this year. You look internally, there's not a lot there. Because the top 30, in the immediate sense, they're young, and they still need development. There's not a, a, a star pitcher in the system that you can call up to, to come into the rotation and fill a spot or, or a guy who can fill in second base right field right now. So that means they're going to have to explore the market. What are your... Uh, well, how are you anticipating the way this offseason shakes out? Do you anticipate the White Sox being aggressive in spending on a, on a singular free agent? Do they get creative? Are they cost efficient? How do you feel like this is going to shape up? So I'm kind of, you know, I'm fascinated to see what's because like, look, they made right? the Craig Kimbrell, yeah. they made the Craig Kimbrell trade. And it's like, okay, well, their payroll is pushing like 150 million for next year. Now, you know, it kind of seems like they're going to pick up Kimbrell and trade him. You'll clear that money. I, I think that they're going to find a way to move Dallas Keuchel too. And you open up the money to play with. I mean, the bottom line is though, they have to spend um, more and like whether Jerry Reinsdorf is like willing to do that or not, like is, is, you know, a question obviously, but you know, I've talked to people that think like since Tony's here, that they will spend. Now, what does that mean? Like, does that mean that they're going to like shell out a hundred million dollars for like Marcus Simeon? Like, I don't know, but I mean, you know, I think everybody knows the needs by now it's second base and it's right field again, you know, and you know, stuff has, has popped up lately. A lot of it over at, you know, your, your job at 670, the score, like a lot of people have talked about the need for the white Sox to get like a number one starter. And I guess, like, I didn't really think about this. Like, I mean, I guess, like, pitching depth, like, yeah, maybe they need a starter. But I don't know that they need an ace, and those guys are hard to get. So I, I don't know, like, where that guy comes from. But there's been, like, a lot of talk, like, in the media about that being what they need. Um, and I just feel like I, I don't know that – I don't really know that that's going to happen. I, I What's your opinion on – that like obviously we know like they, they need to get more left-handed they need to get a couple more bats I think they'll find a way to do so I think the team will look different but a starting pitcher is like not something that you know they don't they don't grow on trees and they cost a lot of money I would love Robbie Ray but uh, you see now when you think about it how often are the White Sox going to commit multi-years and big money to a starting pitcher especially a free agent one who they haven't developed internally I think it's it's a tough sell um, because, you know, pitchers are unpredictable. Things happen to arms that ultimately result in eating money if things go poorly. And the White Sox typically want to avoid committed years and committed dollars to one player, and especially if it's a pitcher, pitcher that's high risk. Not necessarily saying Robbie Ray's high risk, but man, I would love to have a Robbie Ray to headline the rotation next to, you know, Giolito and, and uh, Lance Lynn. However, 
James, I think you and I are on the same page with this as well. They need to incorporate Michael Kopech as a starter next year, which I think they will. So suddenly you're four right-handed starters, and then you're looking past Dallas Keuchel at this point. And Reynaldo Lopez is also a part of this conversation as like a swing man or a, a fill-in type in the rotation. Do they do they work in Garrett Crochet? I mean, when it comes to the starting pitching, I, I think I would I would target a starting pitcher. You look at the free agents available. There's outside of Robbie Ray. There's not a lot that are enticing. I don't think Marcus Stroman is like a realistic possibility after the bridges that he burned last off season. Uh, and and you also look at Max Scherzer. I know that's a name that's floated out there. I don't know if the White Sox are willing to commit big dollars to an. You know he's still elite. Don't get me wrong, but is that the right fit? Especially because of handedness. I don't know how much that plays into account. You know I'm just thinking out loud here. But I think they look internally and then invest maybe some of their capital to a position player and then find a cost-efficient starter to fill a mid to to latter part of the rotation fill. I don't know how you feel. Yeah, similar. I mean, I know that they've, you know, they've liked Kevin Gaussman. They were interested. Ooh, they were in, give yeah. me that. Yeah, give exactly. That. So they were yeah. interested in Kevin Gaussman last year, and then he got the qualifying offer and stayed. I mean, that's a, you know, like Ethan Katz guy from San Francisco. Ethan Katz is the assistant pitching coach there, like, during Gossman's like ascent, like his first big year, I've kind of attributed like Carlos Rodon's season this year kind of reminds me of like Kevin Gossman's season last year. Um, so like, like I think Kevin Gossman's like about to get paid though. So yeah. like, I don't know if the White Sox are going to hand out whatever it is like five at one twenty for Kevin Gossman when they could do something else. I mean, look, they, they do have, Lucas Giolito and Lance Lynn, they're moving Kopech into the rotation. Now, obviously, somebody is going to have to be ready to like piggyback him or do something because he's not going to throw 150 innings next year, you know, and then you have Dylan Cease, um, you know, so like, like you've mentioned, like they're, they're going to add pitching. I just don't know how big of a name it's going to be. And even if like that's the most useful, you know, avenue to go towards like using whatever available money they have left. So mm-hmm. I just, I don't know. I mean, maybe it's, maybe it's a trade. Like they're, look, they're always interested in adding, like, you know, it's, it's great. Like, yeah, every team needs a top of the rotation starter. And like, I keep seeing this because Lance Lynn pitched bad in one playoff series. I mean, some of it's recency bias, I believe, you know, like, I mean, Lance Lynn and Giolito have to be those guys. And if you get another, they have to, yeah. And if you get another guy that's similar, like great. So, you know, the other thing we should probably touch on a little bit is just the Carlos Rodon situation. So, you know, I've heard conflicting things on Carlos Rodon. I know the media kind of ran with the comments that were basically like an indicator that he's like gone for sure. But he did like in that same press conference mention like, you know, possibly coming back because he loves Chicago. So I, I just think I think he gets the qualifying offer and then he's going to have a decision to make. Right. I mean, I would imagine that. You know, Scott Moore, Scott Boris probably wants to go to market, and I, you know, I wouldn't blame them. But you could argue the other way too. I mean, if he did the Carl, if he did the the Kevin Gaussman thing, right? Like, if he really wants to bet on himself, and he mm-hmm. takes the eighteen million dollars for one year, and he does this again next year and throws more innings, I mean, he's looking at like a six year deal with you know worth like one hundred and thirty million. So, you know, like, does he do yeah. that, or does he just go into the market and take like his three year whatever he can get? You know, like, can he get three years and? like 70 from somebody right now maybe I don't know I don't really know like his his case is fascinating for me because he's really good but he's had the injury history 
And, you know, I, I, I think it's going to be interesting. I do think the White Sox absolutely slap the qualifying offer on him, though, just to cover themselves either way. Absolutely. I think that's going to be presented. Uh, it would be it would be crazy not to. And uh, yeah, like you said, I think they would seriously consider it. I agree with you that um, his agency and Scott Boris and, you know, they, they want to explore the market and see what they can get. But you're absolutely right. I mean, it's a risk for a pitcher to bet on himself again. A full season, you never know what's going to happen. Um, and then that just takes away your opportunity to sign a long-term lucrative deal. But what exactly are the offers going to look like? Like you said, I mean, he pitched a combined, what was it, 42 innings across two years. You know, he got hurt in 19, came back, pitched late seven innings in 2020, and got through 120 innings before he started feeling the fatigue this season. So, and you, you, what do you have the the commitment and the money to base on if, if you're another team? So, well, this is how we value you. We understand what you did this year, but man, your your past isn't is a little concerning to us. So yeah, I think it's a real possibility that Rodon returns next year on a qualifying offer, and if he's fully healthy, that is your free agent mid tier starting rotation acquisition that could potentially propel you forward. I just when you when you look at the way the White Sox perform this uh this playoffs, you look at the way that the starting pitchers performed. And it was just totally disappointing. And you see how teams are performing now in terms of, you know, the Astros are dealing with a ton of injuries too now suddenly. But they rode their their one and two starters. Uh, and you see in, in L.A., they're throwing a reliever two days in a row. You know, it's just so bizarre how things play out. But I'm a believer in if you solidify starting pitching, it, it's I, I think you give yourself a better chance to win. But it's not that easy. So, and you brought up uh, potential trades. Let's get to this. Why not? Why not? Let's let's bring this up into the into the into the nether. I guess. Uh, so the White Sox typically how they do business. Like right, we're going to get a Jerickson Profar at second base, and that'll be it. That'll be the entire offseason. Um, but to to be able to stay within their restraints or their constraints in spending, they don't necessarily. Now, I can't speak for them because maybe they make a splash. Maybe Nick Castellanos opts out and they sign him, and there's your right field. Boom, solidified. Uh, but that's, you know, typically we can't count on them to operate that way. They, they look at cost efficiency, years of, of control um, to allow flexibility financially, obviously, to make moves at the deadline. And then next offseason, they always want to have open uh, open money on the books. Do you think that means a trade of a younger player, like an Eloy Jimenez, an Andrew Vaughn? I mean, Gavin Sheets is an easy one to throw out there. But, I mean, those two in particular with Vaughn and Jimenez, I feel like I feel like that is being broached by White Sox fans as a possibility. Um, do you think the organization thinks, you know, thinks the same way? Well, I think something has to give, like, at some point, right? So that's where, like... Like, could you have used Nick Madrigal, like, in a better way? Like, I, I loved the Craig Kimbrell trade. Like, I, I thought it was exactly what they needed. It made a lot of sense. It didn't work, right? Um, process over results. Like, I'm not going to kill the front office for that trade. I think they can replace Nick Madrigal. That's one guy where it's like, okay, this is maybe a guy that you can move to get more left-handed. Because they, they got a lot of dudes and, and a lot of right-handed guys. Um. So like right field's another spot. So I think one of those, maybe like one of the spots gets filled via free agency and one of the spots gets filled via trade, 
or maybe both are via trade. I don't know. Like, is there like I've been hunting for bad contract outfielders to take back for like Dallas Keuchel, like something like that, where it's like an even swap, and then you use the Kimbrel money plus your other, you know, whatever you're budgeted for to go out and fill your needs then with like the leftover money. I mean, the free agent class. I feel like isn't great. Like in the middle tier, there's some top guys that they're not going to be interested in. It's a lot of shortstops. I mean, the White Sox aren't going out and getting Carlos Correa or Trevor Story and putting them at second base or something like that, right? But right. but there should be lots of options. Like I think the Rays like are are a solid trade partner. They have a ton of middle infielders. You know, you got a guy like Joey Wendell at second base who hits left-handed you know, who's probably expendable there because they just have so many guys that they need to play. Um, you know, they've talked Austin Meadows is available there. So I think there's going to be like a lot of talk and there's going to be a lot of names mentioned. The thing that makes everything, I, I don't know if it's interesting, but you know, like the CBA expires on December 1st. So qualifying mm-hmm. offers are due five days after the world series. And then players have like 10 days to, to either take them or turn them down. So so, I mean, like, we might have resolution on qualifying offers, but I'm curious to see if any teams, like, try to strike and do stuff, like, before the CBA would theoretically expire, or if everybody just waits and then this thing, like, drags out. Yeah. So, I mean, we'll have more conversations like this. Like, I, I do think they're going to get a deal because, like, money talks in the end and these people aren't stupid. I just don't know... If I don't, I wouldn't bet on a deal prior to December 1st, if that makes sense. So, like, the players will probably get locked out. I don't think we miss baseball. Like, I, th- I think we start on time. Um, I just think, like, deadlines spur action and it's going to take a while. So, yeah. you know, I think, you know, the websites, you know, our friend uh, Josh Nelson and the guys at Sox Machine, I mean, they're, they're going to do their offseason plan project. I, uh, I told people I can't I can't do offseason predictions until I know what the rules are. Like until I see like what that CBA says. For because sure. you know, there's gonna be like a lot of ramifications to it. Like I think the qualifying offer system probably gets grandfathered in at this point because I don't know how you make like a wholesale change, at least for one year. But I mean, yeah, like there's a lot of stuff. Like tell me the rules and then I can I can play the game. So you know, but there will there will be chat. Like I think the Kimbrel thing, we can t- the Kimbrel thing's out there for a reason, right? Right. I mean, that's that's Rick Hahn totally being like, okay, Kimbrel's available. Who's interested? And while we watch Kimbrel pitch bad down the stretch, like I I do think a lot of clubs will, you know, will still be interested in Craig Kimbrel for fifteen million dollars to close for their team. I think it's really easy for Rick Hahn to. You know, whether it's true or not, say like, oh, yeah, the dugout didn't use him right. Like, he's fine. Like, we 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 messed him up. Like, that's on us. Like, you take him and pitch him in the ninth inning. He's going to be great still. I think that's probably what he's telling people. Yeah, I think that's such an important uh, aspect of this. And I'm glad you brought that up and, and you described it very well there. Um, I mean, it's sort of overlooked, uh, I think, uh, in the grand scheme of things when it comes to the CBA. It has a lot to do with how teams operate this offseason uh, and moving forward as well. So, yeah, and I'm looking forward to bringing on some guests, some some baseball experts to kind of fill us in on, on the uh, actualities of that because, you know, I remember across 2020 the, the amount of interviews that we had just – 
<laughs> um, tr- trying to cover the negotiations from March all the way until June and uh, mid July. I mean, that was exhausting. So looking to do that again this offseason. Yeah, it was. It <laughs> a was. Bit. <laughs> it was brutal. And like, I like that stuff, you know. Yeah, and you know, yeah. like, I try to be reasonable, right? Instead of on some stuff, like on that stuff, it was kind of like I'm like, okay, like, what's the end goal here? The end goal is like everybody getting paid. So like, this is probably what's going to happen, you know. Like, instead of just saying, like, Rob Manfred's a complete moron and he's going to mess sure. this up, like, I mean, I, you know, like, no, there's too much money lost for them to, like, not do this. Like, they're going to do it. But, you know, like, union union negotiations are, they go to the wire for a reason, right? Because nobody, like, wants to give in. And I do, th- I do think there's going to be quite a bit of change, but there are going to be some topics that are, that are really tough, like stuff that we talk about, like service time, that stuff. I don't, I don't know how you solve that stuff. I don't know how you solve the fight between big market and small market owners. It's always been a thing. It's always going to be a thing. So, but I will say the stuff that's been floated about a salary floor, like if that happens, that really, really helps the White Sox. Like that's, that's how you trade a Dallas Keuchel. And I mean, it kind of seems like that's the direction we're going here. Like, I don't really, you know, I, I don't really think Dallas Keuchel necessarily is on the 2022 White Sox. I think that's the that's the Kopech spot, and then you have, like, one other spot to play with. I don't know where he's going. I don't know what you have to take back or how bad of a contract. It just kind of seems like, to me, that he is, like, falling out of favor a little bit. Um, so... You know, mm-hmm. we'll we'll see how that goes and how soon we have resolution on it. But obviously, like we said, like Rodon factors in too. So there's a lot of lot of moving parts here. Um, and we did kind of skip over, like, or I did um, in my rambling, like what you had talked about with the lineup. And there's a lot of stuff on White Sox Twitter, and it, it's interesting, right? So there was a tweet the other day about Jose. It's, it's definitely thought provoking. Yes. Absolutely. So we're gonna do yeah. that now, like like Jose Abreu is a thing. Like I've been accused of hating Jose Abreu. I don't hate Jose Abreu. He's awesome. He's 35 years old. You know, he's going to be their first baseman. He was still pretty good this year, right? Like he's not elite, but he's good. Like he he was a three war player at first base. You know, I think he would tell you he wasn't as good as he thought he could be, but you know, like he's on the last year of his deal and it kind of seems like Jose Abreu is like going to be year to year at this point, but I feel like he's going to finish his career here. So if he wants to play until 38 or 39, like I, I, I kind of think he's going to be here. So like, it's not bad. Like people equate it with being bad. Like, Oh, you think having Jose Abreu is bad? Like you're stupid. It's like, no, but you can't argue with the fact that he is here. And you also have Andrew Vaughn and you have Eloy Jimenez and you have Gavin Sheets. And like you mentioned, like you kind of mentioned, like Sheets is easy to move. Like, yeah, I think he is, but like that's also one of your only left-handed bats. But I also, but I don't know how he plays. Like where, like where, when is Gavin Sheets going to play? Like if we keep the roster similar to how it is, because like, I know you, like you're one of the leaders in the Andrew Vaughn fan club. Like that, that dude's got to play like that. He's not a platoon guy. Like he's, you know, he hit lefties this year, but he's going to hit righties and lefties going forward. And I think he's one of the core pieces of the team. So you know, I'm going to give you the floor. Like if, if Andrew Vaughn is, you know, involved in some trade for like an ace, like I don't think either of us are going to like go crazy, but like, you know, Andrew Vaughn's like not my choice of the guy to trade if they have to trade someone. I'd be upset, like no matter the return, because uh, even if you are getting an upgrade starting pitcher, you're not trading for a guaranteed world series. 
you're you're trading a core piece who's under cost control for another what is it four years, James? I think it's that's no, I think it's I think it's five. Okay, so yeah. you have multiple years of cost control who's already put together a full professional season, who's going to be twenty two or twenty right. three. Twenty three, yeah. So guy. yeah. Right. So, I mean, this is, okay, you think about how advanced he is already in his first professional season. He's got flaws in his game, this and that, sure. But you can see it's there. And this is a middle-of-the-bat, consistent player who is in your uh, organization for 10 to 15 years, potentially. Right. That's, that's what you're looking at in a player like Andrew Vaughn. And if you're trading that away for a short term, I understand the argument of the window is wide open now. You have to capitalize on this because they don't happen often. Year to year, you do everything you can to win a World Series. But let's be realistic. Don't jeopardize the future of potentially your franchise. Or this could be your best player. And I personally believe this is going to be the best White Sox hitter in the lineup once he gets like 2,000 plate appearances under his, under his belt. I would say well, that, that, that'll take two and a half, three years. By that time, you figure that he's he's going to figure it out and put it all together, and you'll see that he could be, you know, hopefully a four to five win player with his bat. Um, so, I mean, those are the expectations you have with an Andrew Vaughn. Um, and I understand the other side of the argument, right, like I just said, but you're not trading for a World Series. You're trading players who could potentially contribute to an opportunity to win a World Series. In a short-term two- to three-year window – you're, you're giving up a 15-year player that, one, you drafted and developed, who is a 160-game player per season, uh, just for the opportunity. You know, I understand, like, again, like, I keep going back and forth with this. But ultimately, I think the risk, reward, the risk is way, way too high in terms of losing the value in an Andrew Vaughn uh, in a return for just a chance to, to take your team to two to three more wins and potentially, you know, if he, if, if it turns out to be the difference maker, like if you win the world series, nothing matters. However you got there and, and you win the world series, nothing matters. You could trade your best player. You win the world series. And that, that player turns out to be Mike Trout, whatever. Yeah, it would hurt, but you won a world series during that time frame, And that's it. That's all that matters. Right. And that's the ultimate game, but it's not a guarantee. Andrew Vaughn is as close to a guarantee as I can come up with in terms of a prospect and the White Sox have him, and I don't want to give him up. Okay. That's as simple as that. I think they could build around this player. They have resources internally to like, in terms of financial flexibility to surround a player like Andrew Vaughn. Like you look at it, James, this is a future Sox podcast. Let's not go too far into the future, but in like in the immediate sense, like let's look two to three years down the road, Andrew Vaughn's still a part of things. <laughs> Maybe uh, Jose Abreu is still a part of things, whatever you laugh at that, but Tim Anderson, Luis Robert, you're thinking about a Colson Montgomery, right? These are the players that are going to solidify the 26 man roster or however many that is, you know, whatever the new, if they come up with a new rule, that is your mainstay guys. That is your core. I don't like the idea of giving up a young core piece like Andrew Vaughn right now. It just, the return wouldn't make any sense to me, no matter what it is. I, I just would feel terrible about it. Yeah. So like, I think I've said it and you've seen other people say it like, you know, every season's sacred. And like, while I think the division is going to be a little bit better next year, I think the White Sox should win the division. Like, they should be pretty good because when you have a core collection of young, cost-controlled position players, like, that's typically what's happened, like, over time, right? And I think in that core, people would include Anderson, Moncada, Robert, and Jimenez, right? And you have the other vets. Well, I think Andrew Vaughn's part of that. Like, I would include Vaughn in that. 
Now, you know, the guy that we mentioned, Aloy Jimenez as well, you know, like I, I, I did an internet poll last week and I asked which guy was more valuable going forward. And then people accused me of wanting to trade Aloy Jimenez. And like, I don't want to trade Aloy Jimenez, but like when the front office is like meeting about like solutions, like that has to be on the table. Like what, what can you get? Okay. Are we better doing that? And the answer is probably going to be no. Cause like Aloy Jimenez is a monster, but like if you're committed to Aloy Jimenez playing left field and Jose Abreu is going to play first, like Grandal basically has to catch, right? Because you need the DH slot open unless you're going to play Andrew Vaughn every day in right field. And then you have Gavin Sheets. We haven't even talked about him. There's just a lot of redundancies and they're going to have to figure it out. They get paid to figure it out. We don't. So like, you know, me like exploring the possibility of moving one of these guys, like doesn't really matter, I guess. But I, I just feel like if there's like a big move where like one of them goes, like it, it really shouldn't be that shocking because some of the things we've said, what derailed them, right? They pitched horrible, but bad defense, like all year for the most part. Well, if you don't change anything, like I don't really know if that gets better. They have to hit the ball in the air. And look, a lot of that is guys that, you know, like Aloy wasn't the same and he's got to hit the ball. He's got to hit the ball in the air. And I think Andrew Vaughn will like as, you know, his career progresses, right? So the defense hitting the ball in the air and they're not left-handed enough. They're, they're just not like their left-handed sluggers are grand all. And then sheets like kind of saved him a little bit with some power because Mankata was a really good player. He, he like didn't hit for any power though. So you have to like get left-handed power somewhere. And whether that's like a bounce back with Michael Conforto, like in free agency, or that's a trade or something like, I feel like that field or that spot is like earmarked for right field. Well, that still doesn't solve like your conundrum of having like a bunch of the same player. So they, they have like really tough questions that they have to like ask themselves and figure out like what's the best way to move forward. Well, like you said, how much does handedness come into play here? And, you know, there this isn't I don't think this is made public, but it's it's been reported. What is it? Uh, a three year deal for Larusa, So he just finished year one. Yes. Um but obviously they have the freedom to do whatever they want and say, okay, you're done or whatever. It's like the ownership's call. So you, you look at this three-year window, year one, failure. Let's let's call it a failure because it was. Um, so how do you do that? How do you fix that? Do you cater to how Tony LaRusso wants to manage? And does that include handedness? Like, Does he value that so he can manipulate lineups like we've seen him do all season long? And yeah, I mean, injuries definitely had an impact on the way Tony LaRusso and Rick Hahn sort of managed this ball club. Um, but you, you bring up a great point with it, with the abundance of the types of, of players that, yeah, go get all the good players, but if they play the same position and they're right-handed, then you're kind of stuck, right? Cause you still got to go out and play defense and you care. You have to care about the fundamentals, the little things, the things that are harped on in the postseason that we see the Astros do so well, a philosophy that is shared across an organization that I think the White Sox are working towards, but it just wasn't prevalent in the big league roster this year, which was, I think, the most disappointing part of it all. Uh, just to, to go back on the point, though, like uh, trading in Andrew Vaughn isn't a solution, especially considering the, the upside that he presents to you over a decade. He is a player that you help that that helps your organization go forward and he's a player that helps you design a roster around right like he impacts the way you spend in free agency how you acquire players at the trade deadline that's not a player that you give up 
in my opinion, at least. And like we said, I mean, this is a conversation that's thought provoking. Look at look at how far into the conversation we are. But these are some of the quite now, I don't think trading Andrew Vaughn is a realistic thing that's going to transpire across this offseason. If it does, I'll be shocked. But these are the types of questions that we have to explore. Uh, maybe not this one specifically, but that's what the White Sox are faced right now, just because of the abundance of the types of players that are littered across their their 40-man roster. So with Gavin Sheets, too, I mean, what a story, right? But is, he's not a regular right fielder. You need an upgrade at that position. And Jose Abreu is going to take up first base DH over the long haul. However long he decides to play, he'll, like I said, I agree with you, he'll, he'll be here. So you got to manage that. You got to work around that, and that that affects an Andrew Vaughn and, a, and a Aloy Jimenez. So, good luck, Rickon. You know, I mean, yeah. I mean, like, is not easy. I mean, is like the defense is an issue, and like, Absolutely. is it is it better if you bring everybody back? Now, how different are the defensive numbers if Roberts in center all year? Like, I don't know, but like, I saw a lot of mistakes, and a lot of it, a lot of it was shifting. Like, that's like coaching staff and front office related, right? Like, I got a lot of pushback. Like, I criticized the shifting because I had heard from people that, you know, Tony LaRusso doesn't really like the modern shifting, but you know, and then, you know, people push back and it was like, Oh, well, Tony's not calling the shifts in the dugout. I'm like, no, it's the analytics department. But like, if your coaching staff isn't on board with it, like it is on the coaching staff, like they have to figure something out. Like, I feel like anytime the white Sox hit a baseball, like against a good team, like on the ground, like they, they got a guy there because like the smart teams know how to do that stuff. Whereas like, the White Sox aren't at double play depth. Like, you know, there was a whole bunch of issues in that playoff series that just like right. seemingly came to a head. And like, you know, while Tony La Russa didn't lose that series, like I think he lost game two, like, and they, that like that stuff can't happen. So like they do have, they have like a lot internally to clear up, right? Like they have a ground ball problem. They hit too many grounders. I don't know who's, fault that is like I think hitting coaches are overrated we've heard a lot of good things about Frank Menachino like I don't think Frank Menachino is telling players like hit the baseball into the ground but like for whatever reason like they're not hitting fly balls they're, yeah James they're... can you just expand upon that like how how significant the ground ball rate was this season and how it impacted the year yeah I mean it was like top five in base. I mean none of the other playoff teams were as high as the White Sox were, I don't know the exact percentage, but like they hit more grounders than any playoff team. And like, you have to hit the ball in the air. Like all these teams that are left, are all high contact teams with, but they're all like top 10 in like in, uh, in launch angle. So like, I just, I don't really understand. But the thing that, the thing that's really confusing to me is like, we've talked about Ryan Johansson a lot. Like Ryan Johansson, you know, he was in Kannapolis for a little bit. He's the White Sox director of hitting. And he does, like, you know, a lot of the modern hitting stuff, like, out at his, like, club that he had, whether it's St. Charles or whatever. Like, there's no way, like, this is his philosophy. So, like, I don't know where the disconnect is. Like, I really don't. Like, it doesn't, it doesn't make any sense to me that they hit the ball on the ground as much as they have. But, there, you know, there's been good stuff, like, all over Twitter about, you know, the number of, basically like they don't pull the ball in the air. Right. So I don't know if it's like a middle away approach, you know, and then anytime they like turn over on like a bad pitch, like it's just like hit on the ground, like to the pull yeah. side or what. But I mean, dude, it was, it was all year. It was just like, why does this team hit so many grounders? But on the other hand, 
You know, like the people that are like, oh, just fire Frank Menachino. I mean, they had a 109. Yeah, no. <laughs> they had a one. They had a 109 weighted runs created plus as a team. That's third in the American League. Like that's good. Like they got on base right. a ton, and that's why. So there has to be like a middle ground, right, where you can still get on base, but you can hit more homers because you're going to have to hit for power. Otherwise, you're you're not going to win in the playoffs. Yeah, I think that's a that's a brilliant observation, and I think you look at the way the Astros attacked up and down the lineup, man, they grind you. Uh, that philosophy is something that I'd love to see the White Sox adapt or adopt. I should say it's just, uh, and it's not easy. Look here. I am saying, Oh, just be like yeah, the Astros. Yeah, just, you right. know? Well, they did, but they did, but they did walk more than like ever. Right. So I was happy sure. with like some of the approaches, but like those walks have to turn into three run homers and they just mm-hmm. like, don't like the White Sox just like strand, like they get a ton of guys on base and then they strand them, you know? So I don't know. I mean, I feel like they're going to have a lot of internal meetings about stuff because, I mean, it's the time. I mean, this is this is it. Like, this is your chance. Like, I think I think they're going to be in it for, you know, I think I think this is a five year run. And I've said that, like, that doesn't mean you're going to win a title, but it means yeah, look out you, for the Tigers. It, right. But it means that you're one of the teams that could. And I think the playoffs are going to expand. So there's look, there's there's no excuse for them not to be like mm-hmm. one of the four or five best teams in the AL every year. And some years you're the best team and some years you, you know, you struggle and you barely get in, but you got to get in all the time. That's like the quickest way to yep. win a title is to just be in the playoffs all the time. And you know, then it wouldn't feel like the way it feels now when they get in once every 15 years and lose. Well, the White Sox have the foundation. Boy, it felt good to get this all off our chest. It's been a while. We said that at the top of the show. Uh, we covered a lot here. And we had, you know, there's there's some White Sox angst, I think, after this season. There's a lot of expectations, obviously. I think as August and September hit, you saw the deterioration of the quality of, of pitching from the starters. Just whatever that the reason was there. You know, it happened. It is what it is. Now it's up to Rick Hahn and the White Sox to, to try and rectify the holes. We'll see. We'll see the, what they decide to do. For us at Future Sox, we're going to obviously monitor the offseason. I'm looking forward to the CBA negotiations, honestly, like I really am. Uh, I want to learn a lot about uh, the business side of baseball this year. Uh, but also at the site, you can look forward to this week, all of this week, we're doing features uh, recapping the entire affiliate uh, all the seasons across the affiliates, Kannapolis, Birmingham, Winston-Salem, and Charlotte. We have that covered for you. James has covered the Arizona Fall League as well as the uh, Instructional League. That is wrapping up as well by the end of the week. Um, James, you're also uh, preparing something from for the uh, – what are you doing? I forget. <laughs> yeah, I, I, what are you doing? <laughs> I should I should probably review the Dominican Summer League season. That's they, what it was. Yeah. They did play. Um, so you know, Norhe Vera and some other guys that people have never heard of. So, and I'm sure you're going to be on the international signing period as well. So, yep. Oh, I am so like, I don't know if I'm happier that like Oscar Colas is like finally going to be on the White Sox, or happier to like not have to talk about him anymore. <laughs> Well, as soon as he signs, get used to it. Then we'll have to bring him up. Then it'll be like, hey, is he the number one prospect right away? Yeah, can he every show? Can he be the right fielder in twenty twenty two? Hey, we didn't even bring up Mike or Adolfo. I think this is the first time. The first one, sh- yeah. Well, I think every, <laughs> I think everybody kind of knows right now, like his, you know, his status. Like he's just, I would you know, hope so. it's interesting. And then, you know, thank thankfully, I didn't have to talk about 
Michael Kolpacker, Garrett Crochet's usage in the big leagues this year because it's just inf- Boy, just infuriating. <laughs> so we could do we could do a whole show on that. That's for another show. I am looking forward to Kopech in the rotation. There's still a question of whether or not they commit Garrett Crochet uh, to become a starter. I think it's it's now or never. Right? I mean, it's starting to get a little late. Seems seems like it. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. He he just needs innings, and we've talked about it, but. If you're going to start Gary Crochet, you better do it now. Get him ready in the offseason. Get him five to ten starts at AAA, AA, however you want to do this. But he's got to start, and he's got to have minor league innings under his belt before he you know, comes up to the big leagues and potentially pitches, what, 75, if you're lucky. No, they so, can just not. That's just can, the way I see it. They can, they can just not use him in high leverage situations all year and then thrust him into a playoff series, like right in the middle of the well, highest leverage spot ever. So. I should have just left it at that. James Fox, thanks for your time. As always, really appreciate you jumping on. Uh, This was fun. We'll do it again soon. Yep. Talk soon. All right. This has been another episode of the Future Sox podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in. Check us out, futuresox.com. Go to anchor.fm forward slash futuresox for our entire podcasting library. It's a little dated, but you you can look through the guests that we've had and see the types of conversations that we've also discussed. Uh, Really appreciate your time. Thanks so much for listening. If you made it to this far, uh, wow. Wow, that's awesome. Thank you. Anyway, all right, we'll talk to you all next time.